Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a ton of comic books that come out this week. Kick it off with Deadpool number one from Marvel, written by Alyssa Wong, art by Martin Cocolo. In this issue, as you can probably tell from the number one, we're getting a new take on Deadpool here from a new team. He is still working with folks on Krakoa, but... That's not totally important here, as he has been contracted by a secret society of assassins to kill Dr. Octopus. He's gotten waylaid in the middle by a new villain called the Harrower. The Harrower, yes. There you go. Uh, And uh, I'm having a little bit of a stroke. Don't worry about it. But it is uh, fun. I had a fun time. Oh, I I agree. I agree. It's a lot of fun. I feel like it's a nice, fresh kind of start with Deadpool. Uh, I appreciated the the start of it. I feel like it has a great feel to it. Uh, Of course, uh, tight as bananas are. um, But I tight uh, as bananas. He said. I also think that like the um, the kind of voice of Deadpool, I really like. Uh, And it's an interesting setup, you know? I'm glad that we're away from Fuck Island, so I feel like this is, let's get Deadpool away from the stupid stuff and have him interact with some different things. Uh, This is exciting, very cool. Um, I I mean, I don't agree with that take, uh, per se. This comic, I I feel like Deadpool can just be bent. You be a dick about, you know, separating yourself from my opinion. You know what I mean? Well, but your opinion is very negative about um, so the just entire real quick, X-Men. Let me explain how podcasts and reviewing work. So <laughs> go ahead, Justin. Uh, the, um, the Deadpool can be bent in any direction. And this is another sort of fun. I'm curious if this will sort of be a, an ongoing part of the series. The idea here that the harrower is implanting a symbiote inside Deadpool because his healing factor will allow the symbiote to grow and recover, grow, grow bigger and, and more dangerous. Um, so there's that. There's a, a secret society of assassins, Deadpool trying to kill Doc Ock, naturally getting hurt and injured, while still um, a lot of the same Deadpool um, fun. Uh, so, like, uh, I, I like this. I thought it was a nice newer um, newer way into uh, having Deadpool continue some of the stuff that he's done for quite some time. Since we've uh, talked about spoilers a little bit, I did like the idea of probably where we're heading is that Deadpool is going to have to carry around some sort of carnage baby 
That seems like a sort of a classic Deadpool setup in a certain way, which I appreciated. And also another thing that I really doesn't appreciated. doesn't seem like it's a baby. It seems like it's a full grown. It carnage. does seem full grown. I was kind of, maybe that's what I was looking You wanted for. like it, a baby Yoda type of thing, but with I carnage. did. I wanted a Mandalorian except with Deadpool and a tiny little carnage. That's fine. I don't think that's out of the question. Yeah. Right, let's not get crazy here. Yeah. Let's see what happens. We'll keep reading the series. The other thing that I appreciated is... In a very surprise, pleasantly surprising way, Deadpool continues to be one of the most welcoming books in the Marvel Universe. Yes. In terms Great of, there is a character that he's clearly crushing on who is non-binary in this book. I know we're making a big deal by calling it out, but they don't make it a big deal in the book. It just is. No. And Deadpool continues to be a character that like is totally accepting of everybody across the board. And I I love that. I love continuing that. It's very smart. It's very fun. Uh, and it's yeah. very true to the character as well. And when you said gateway, because I agree with you, it is great. And on, on top of that, Deadpool feels like a great gateway comic for people who maybe like the movies but don't read comics. Um, so I, a great gateway comic in that way as well for an outside reader. Yeah. Let's go on and talk about Batman and the Joker, the deadly duo. Number one Whoa. from DC Comics by Mark Silvestri. You could probably figure this out by the title, but this is about Batman and the Joker teaming up. What you probably can figure out is it is about a bunch of evil Jokers who are taking over Gotham City. What did you guys think about this one? Well, first, you got to say, you know, sick covers, bro. I mean, uh, those covers are a lot Absolutely. of fun. Uh, and, of course, tight ass bananas art. Uh, I feel like this is a really fun story with amazing action. It has a it has kind of the classic Batman feel, but it uh, it also feels kind of new and exciting. So I think they do a great job with this uh, issue. I love this team. I'm excited to see what happens here. Wahhabis. Um, uh, just to to talk about Pete for a second here, you know the movie Nell, where um, from back for the, uh, from back in the day, where which is not a, I'm sure maybe not a movie that's aged well, yeah, but or it's a top kind, of mind reference that you're making. The, 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 the character in that speaks a, a language that's all her own, and I feel like we're getting there with Pete. Like as, honestly, like I feel like we're bordering bordering on like I don't know I don't understand what Pete sort of means, but I don't know what the words are. Anymore? Like, I feel like we could chart what Pete slipping words? into a nonsense language over the course of these Ooh, many... Oh, chickadee-doo! Yeah, uh, Maybe I've seen that movie too many times in my life. <laughs> yeah, uh, I would say so, because the fact that it's, like, right there for you to reference is... I mean, it's I, all I, on the top I, of to mind. To defend Justin, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, and a lot of we have a lot of Nell fans on in our fan base. There's a huge Venn diagram crossover there. Batman and the Joker. What a who would have thought these guys would ever team up? Yeah. And here we are with um, some uh, Mark Silvestri um, art, uh, really um, bringing back sort of the classic in the very much in the style of uh, your Jim Lee uh, classic yep, image right. situation Sharp here. Images, yeah, a lot of sketch lines you can yeah. take here. Can I? Can I th- throw something out there that might be a little rude, and I know we tend to well, be very don't. positive on this podcast. Then don't do it. Uh, no, I'm going to do it anyway. I love Mark Silvestri's art from back in the day. One of my absolute faves. I think he's over-inked here. Like, I, I don't know if it was the pencils that he delivered. Obviously, we're a couple of decades on at this point. But there's something about the art, and I'm all for an artist evolving and finding a new style and playing in new things. But 
there's something about here that isn't quite as sharp as the way that Mark Silvestri was back in the 90s and 2000s. And that might just be the normal, like, I'm a penciler. This is my aging process. And that's fine. And I get that. And I'm not slamming that. Uh, but it, it it didn't pop as much to me. Well, it's interesting you say that because I agree with you, especially in a lot of the sections before the Joker, the actual Joker arrives. Um, and this book makes me think that these villainous Jokers are going to end up being half Joker, half Batman yeah. uh, simulacrums. And I, I think the sketchiness of the art, and it, it does sort of wash together and it feels extra shadowy and dark, feels like it's very Batman. And when the Joker the capital J Joker arrives, he pops and he's cause he's a super pale and everything. And I wonder if maybe it's a little bit of a conscious choice to, to sort of do that. It could be, but I, cause I do agree with you, Alex, that it was a bit muddy, especially until the Joker arrived. So I'd be curious if that's more of a conscious choice or more of just like a, uh, sort of like this, it, this is a very Batman and we're about to get more Joker. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Let's move on. Talk about the ones. Number one from Dark Horse Comics, written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Jacob Edgar. This is a new book, as you can tell from the number one, that is taking place in a world where there is a bunch of different chosen ones. You've got a Buffy the Vampire Slayer style chosen one. You have a, I don't know, like uh, Child of God style chosen one. You've got a superhero chosen one, a bunch of others, all brought together to stop the apocalypse. Um spoilers here, big spoilers, but it is the concept of the book. Basically, they're brought together as a team to stop this apocalypse, and they're like, eh, we got enough time. It's all good. And then the end of the book, the big reveal, the kickoff, the story is like, nope, they don't. They think they have 10 years. They actually have six, and they totally screw it up. Uh, They think they have 16 years, and they actually have six. Um, It's okay. uh, You went to Cornell. Math's not your favorite thing. Absolutely not. I studied theater arts. I <laughs> got to tell you, I was a little hesitant about this because I like Brian Michael Bendis in general, but I feel like, like we've talked about, there have been certain aspects where he's been phoning certain things in. It's felt like this was fun. This felt to me like the same sort of vibe as a Powers or some other Bendis book back in the day. I really dug this quite a bit, and I'm very excited to check out the second issue. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, call it the ones and then having a number one, and that that's a lot of ones. But I think that uh, getting past all of that weirdness, <laughs> I think that... Yeah, talking about that a guy who be, doesn't get numbers. Yeah. That was a hard thing for all of us to get past. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because then it's going to be ones number two, and you're like, wait, what? It's but confusing. I it's I like, think, is this 12? Is yeah, it 12? Exactly, one and right. a two? Um. But I do like the team. I also really like um, the kind of person who's recruiting them. Uh, Funny, interesting character. So, you know, and then the fun reveal of, uh, you know, uh, the devil baby, which is a classic fun twist. But I I think this is a, a does a good enough job as a first issue of like setting things up, getting you introduced to a new world and getting you excited for more. Um. Yeah, I mean, in contrast to the Mark Silvestri art we were just talking about, this Jacob Edgar art is super clean um, and uh, cartoon-esque. 
Sure, sure. Which I think works as a nice sort of sort of bounces off the concept, the sort of heavy premise concept of all these the ones coming together it makes everything a little make a little bit more sense, which I really like. And yeah, I agree with you, Alex. I feel like this is one of the better Bendis uh, projects that I've seen lately. It is strong premise that is really played out in in a fun way. Uh, so yeah, this is definitely one I would pick up uh, a next issue. Hell to I can figure out this numbering situation. Yeah, very yeah. The one's number two. Oh, no thanks. Hell to Pay, number one, from Image Comics, written by Charles Soule, art by Will Sliney. This is taking place in a world where a bunch of hell coins, 666 to be precise. Oh, see what they been, did there? Do you see it? Distributed all over the world, and rich people have gotten control of them to get control of demons. Fucking There's two people. people who have been tasked to get them back. What'd you guys think about this? Uh, this was fun. I mean, I feel like Charles uh, has been doing a lot of books where it's not just like the like oh hell coins. We got to track down these hell coins. There's um, a lot of additional um, ideas baked into a lot of his comic books lately, Plus, which I think is is really yes. No, I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step on your. No, please. I was going to say. Plus, it's it's very interesting because it's taking its time. It's not like rushing into the premise and like throwing into it. Like you're stopping to enjoy the scenery and this. You know, uh, whether it's a dog or some old uh, parchment on the walls, it's uh, you know, it's it's got a confidence about it. I think is what Justin's talking about. A hundred percent. And like we've all stopped to enjoy a dog. Yeah. <laughs> Right, Pete? That's what you're saying. Well, uh, yeah, sometimes you got to, you know, you're walking around the world and, uh, you know, an adorable little dog walks up to you. You got to say what up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I'm I talking about the Tasmanian tiger that was extinct that they pointed out in the comments. Yes. And uh, uh, let me just say, none of the characters stopped to enjoy this dog, which, in fact, is a cat, a tiger, um, that is uh, <laughs> casually referenced and never really um, spoken about in this comic book. But let me say, I like the introduction of this, the shrouded college we get here. I like the story and the um, sort of situation our main characters are in on top of the fact that um, this Hellcoin thing, not only is a big concept that's introduced, then there's a twist on it in the middle to back end of the issue, which I don't know how they're going to resolve this. So it's fun. And I've got a bunch of Hellcoins. I've been trying to offload. Oh, oh wow! Well, that's this is a great that's... instruction manual. Then let's yeah. talk but, about. Wait. Yes, the, the, it's also like I'm a little worried that it's going to be kind of like a uh, silver coin situation. You know what I mean? Where every issue is a little bit of a horror tale. So I'm a little. Well, worried so it's about... not. He talks about the structure of this a little bit in the back matter. He being Charles Soule. This is a six issue miniseries. Six. Let's that, see what that... he did there. <laughs> did a typical amount of issues. I understand what you're saying, though. But this is six issues. It is going to tell the Hell to Pay story, but the Shrouded College is an overall thing that they're going to do with, I think, six different miniseries that they have the plan yeah. for right now. Um, that's fun. It's did you guys thing. get into the Shrouded College? I was my safety school for... I, I went to Shrouded State University, actually. <laughs> Great State football school. team. Yeah. Great State Shrouded school. football team. Um, yeah. Pete, I feel like the Silver Coin, another comic that we talk about frequently, which is a horror anthology based around a um, very cursed coin. I feel like that scared you in general. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because you bring try- it up in a way where you're like, well, yeah, but not the Silver Coin. It's not real, right? <laughs> yeah, I think it, you know, that that uh, it's changed coins for me. You know what I mean? You don't I use coins. Be, not anymore. I it used to be change, all into it. Change, if you will. Wow. <laughs> 
Inspired change. Secret Secret Invasion number one for Marvel, written by Ryan North, art by Francesco Mobili. This is a title that you can probably figure out why it's happening. It's because there is a Disney Plus series that's coming out next year. Oh, I just got that. It is about Nick Fury fighting a bunch of scrolls. But I'll tell you what, if you're going to do a cash in miniseries, get Ryan North to write it. Because it's going to go above and beyond in terms of being fun and trippy and weird. And I had a delightful time reading this book. So maybe you should enjoy this. What's that? Maybe you shouldn't like point out that maybe it's just a cash grab or something like that. You know what I mean? No, I'm saying it could have been a cash grab, but it is not. It's an actually good miniseries because I feel like you could walk into the store and see this and be like, A, that has the same logo font as Secret Invasion that I read. I don't know, I want to say 10 years ago, something like that. Or B, you'd be like, ah, they're just cashing in on the Disney Plus series. But it is a good comic to read. That's right. It's not a cash grab. It's a quality grab, a grab of quality, which I love to grab. <laughs> yeah. I, the same way that Pete's stopping and enjoying a dog, I'm stopping and grabbing some quality. Uh, that's just me for you. And I think this is great. A Nick Fury based story, which we don't get a lot of these days, where he is having a little fun while dealing with something like the vibe when he walks into the room um, of this these this family, uh, the case that he's investigating, he's like, oh boy, this is fucked up. I thought it was great. Ryan North's a great writer who is able to inject uh, not like hard comedy by any means, but like just the ridiculousness of the situations in uh, this comic and a lot of the uh, other superhero situations that our characters are in. So I thought this was great. I also enjoyed it. I think they did a great job with the humor and the uh, art uh, that is just a fun one-two combination. Uh, they did this was just they put a, a smart team on this, and uh, I wish you guys would start t- talking about what a cash grab it is because it doesn't really feel like that. It just feels like a good project and Quality not grab. the cash grab at all. Cash grab. I do also <laughs> want to throw out there. I appreciate it that nowhere in the book does Nick Fury be like. Just to be clear, I'm Nick Fury Jr., the son of Nick Fury, who is currently a robot on the moon. the The fact that we moved past that, I'm like, I don't need to know. I, I didn't even remember until halfway through the book, and I was like, Oh right, this is actually Nick Fury Jr. in the Marvel universe, not Nick Fury in the movie universe. It doesn't matter. We moved beyond I mean, it. It's all good. I will say that is one of those things that we have moved on as a comic readership and comic readerships rarely move on from stuff like that. So shout out to to everybody <laughs> not being super caught up on what was we're talking about a cash grab. That's way more of a cash grab than having a 100%. secret invasion series. Well, and we had to spend years of the character every time being like, hey, Nick Fury, Jr., yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like Wink. when somebody just shaves out of nowhere and you're thinking, like, is this the same person or yeah. is this their no, You're talking about, for anybody who's listening on the podcast, uh, Justin uh, recently shaved and we're pretty sure this is Justin's son, yeah. Justin yeah. Jr. And yeah. just to be clear, if you haven't seen me, I shaved my beard, but also everything else. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why the guys are just uh, have questions. Yeah. yeah. Well, I call you the new champion of Justin, and let's talk about the new champion of Shazam, number wow. three from DC Comics, written by Josie Campbell, art by Evan Doc Shader. I love this book. I'll put that out there up front. In this issue, Mary Marvel is continuing to deal with the weird tech magic 
thing that is attacking Philadelphia. Uh, but also in this issue, and Pete is really not going to like my commentary here, but I'm going to go for it anyway. It is dealing with the fact that Mary Marvel has become a meme. She has become a public superhero, and a lot of people are railing on her. This issue of the new champion of Shazam does everything right that She-Hulk did wrong. Oh, what a piece of shit. You can't just say something nice. I absolutely cannot. I can compare things to other things that are comparable because what happens here is this uses social social media skewering of a female superhero in the right way to motivate the superhero's journey. She Hulk just didn't do, uh, but it works oh, here. The wow. art is great. The journey is great. Loving this book. Love Mary Marvel. I love the rest of the Marvel family here and how they work everything in. I was super bummed to find out at the end of this issue that the next issue seems to be the last of this because this series is great so far. I, I, oh, go ahead, Justin, if you want. I was going to say, I really, I agree with you. I also really enjoyed this at a time where I feel like Shazam. We we recently watched Black Adam. Shazam seems to be like you top of it. mind. I did watch it. Um, top of mind for everyone. What do you mean I didn't watch it? I 100% did watch it. That's how I, I was Yeah, able but it's to a fun talk. running bit that I'm doing. That's not a bit. Uh, that's an accusation. Um, and I, oh, I, I wish I could have fallen asleep during Black Adam. As I said, I tried to close my eyes as tight as I could, and I just couldn't shut them because there's too much lightning happening. Um, but uh, this book is fantastic. It's my favorite Shazam property out there right now. Um, I think the art is great. And to Alex's point, I think it does. Um, it gets into the issues that were covered a little bit in She-Hulk in a, in a very interesting way. And Perhaps it's a little bit easier in the comic book format to do that. Um, and I think the art does a great job of sort of telling that story in also an interesting way. All right. Well, let me be the first to just uh, uh, acknowledge something and not put something else down in the process. Uh, I, I think that this I think is, you're actually putting uh, Alex and I down while you're yes, saying Yes. Just this. to be clear, you're the same guy who, when we were talking about Deadpool 1 right at the beginning of the podcast, mentioned <laughs> Fuck Island out of nowhere. Right? Go ahead. Uh, wow. Okay, it's fair. It's fair. It's a it's a fair criticism, and I apologize. All right. Uh, so my point being, uh, this is great. I love the big belly uh, burger joke. The Vassar T-shirt was hilarious. Badass last panel. Uh, Darla is just fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I feel like this is just um, some. You know, tight ass bananas art and uh, some great story. And uh, yeah, I really thought it was a cool comic and a great kind of villain uh, intro. I, I felt like it did a great job. Like it's like in a in a couple of weeks, we're gonna be Alex and I are gonna be like, I am grooting Pete. Pete's gonna say <laughs> tight ass bananas, and we're gonna be like, Yes, I agree with you, Pete. It was actually a pretty good issue. Yep. <laughs> just, that's what I just want to be make everyone clear what's happening here. We're seeing a man be grooted in front of our eyes, in front of our ears. He's being grooted. <laughs> tight ass. Grooting himself. <laughs> tight ass bananas. <laughs> Two other quick things that I want to mention and then we'll move on. I'm a sucker for this anyway, but very good gritty joke in this issue. Uh, it was in one of the comments about Mary Marvel, but I thought that was very fun. And the other thing, the villain reveal here, or at least they don't reveal the villain, but I think we know who the villain is. 
that's Michelle Gomez, right? Like they legit yeah. cast Michelle Gomez in this comic as the villain in the, the story. I love her. Uh, so that was yeah. very fun to see. A great book. If you're not checking it out, let's move to a new one and talk about Behold Behemoth. Number yeah. one from Boob Studios, written by Tate Bromble, art by Nick Robles. This is about, I, I guess he's a social worker who is tasked with checking out things that are going wrong in different houses at the same time as the world seems to be ending. Also, we're getting flashes of the post-apocalypse at the same time, and there's a lot of time jumping and things going around here. I thought this was very cool and interesting, particularly from the art perspective, how they mixed the future and present storyline, I guess we can call them. What would you guys think about it? I agree. I think the... The art uh, choices and the art swings that they're taking with the different kind of like flashbacks of images that we're getting is really cool and very well done. It's disorienting on purpose. I really enjoyed stylistically how this was set up and portrayed. I think this is a fantastic first issue. They're really setting up a lot of different pieces on the board and uh, some very interesting characters, some, some people you meet right away where you're like, oh, yo, they did some messed up stuff. Uh, I love the kind of interactions that happen with the main character and others. Uh, yeah, I think as a first issue, this really kills it. Um, I also enjoyed this. I This seems like, I feel like it's hard in comics um, sometimes to portray people like going off the rails because uh, there are certain like tropey ways to do that where a character's like, they're having a montage of like wild images and they wake up and then a cold sweat or whatever. But this comic really conveyed the feeling where I was like, this is, this is going poorly for this. <laughs> this guy is out of control with this stuff. Um, and it felt, it had the right amount of tension and stress you told through the, the story and the art at the same time, which is like, that's all you can ask for in a comic. And I thought this was a, a good first issue. Next up, Quick Stops, number one from Dark Horse Comics, written by Kevin Smith, art by Jeremy Simser. This is focusing on the guy from chasing Amy and catching up with him as a Comic-Con. And he, sure, and he tells the origin of Bluntman and Chronic, and then maybe, it, I don't know, tees up Clerks 3 or something? Sure well, does. here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like, you know, I watched uh, Mallrats. When I was young, yeah. I was like, this movie's My kids, back on the escalator. Yeah, a lot of fun stuff in there. Reading this comic, um, and, and let me say also, Mallrats, Clerks, like big movies of their day, innovative, um, mm-hmm. felt mm-hmm. like edgy, young, cool. Um, I think the edge is gone. I think we've <laughs> lost the edge here. This book feels a little out of step and a little older when it's trying to appear I think, or to feel young and still having that edge. And that's that's just a huh. tough thing to write toward, I think. And also, this book is telling the origin of Bluntman and Chronic, which are Batman parodies, but they're treated as if they just came up with them whole cloth. And I'm like, you can't do that. That doesn't make any <laughs> sense. They're like, look, I have a we have a blunt cave. I was like, yeah, I know, because you have a back cave. It's a back cave. Like, uh, they're acting like it's this big, huge, creative leap. And I'm like, no, no, it's not. So, like, I, I don't know. There was just some stuff here that I was like, this doesn't isn't quite hit. So you wanted them to really get into the Batman origin story first and then put the blunt man. No, I, I wanted like, to, uh, What is uh, Batman's origin story? How did he get his yeah. powers? You know, his uh, does powers. he like pearls? 
seltzer, doesn't he? I, I think this is, I, I didn't look at it as trying to be edgy. I think it was just like, Hey, uh, did you like quirks? Clerks, uh, well, here's kind of a memory lane of older movies that are kind of uh, older. done by this guy that's kind of from the dude from the movie that you like telling stories about the stuff that you like. I just felt like it was like, hey, if you like this, you'll like this. And this is just kind of story time with Ben Affleck. So I thought, like, hey, it's a it was a fun trip down memory lane. I didn't think it was going to be like unbelievably sharp or witty or whatever. I just felt like, yeah, I liked Mallrats. I like Clerks. You know, chasing Amy happened. So like, whatever. I'm, you know, I read this and was like, oh, cool. Yeah, it was similar. Uh, same kind of. I'll just throw humor. out there. There was this tweet that Kevin Smith sent out. I'm looking at it right now. July 9th, 2009, where he says, 10 years in and we bone like we're cheating on each other with each other. A decade plus and her clit brown Tate area still pones my dick. Uh, this feels like Kevin Smith poning his own dick. <laughs> what did you great. just what did you just do man i read a tweet and then i commented on it oh yeah uh i think that's accurate alex and i just think if like this the clerks or mall rats universe of characters i think they can't do the same thing i can't hear jay be doing snoochy boochie still i want to see jay being like finding something else that's funny like what's there's an evolution there i would think if the point is that he's not evolving, then I want to highlight that. If he is evolving, I want to see that. But instead, it just feels like it's doing the same thing again. And I don't want to uh, lump on everything too hard because I think it's fine. It's just there's opportunity here, and instead it feels like we're doing the same. This thing. is playing to the crowd is essentially what it is. I, if, unless you're like deep in the Jay and Silent Bob universe, I don't know why you would care about this. I'm sorry. I know that's harsh. And we don't tend to be harsh, but that is what it is. Speaking of deep in the universe, let's talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind, number one for Marvel, written by Kevin Chittick, art by Gerardo Sandoval. This is a prequel comic to Cosmic Rewind, the ride that is now at Disneyland, uh, which definitely made me hesitant to check it out. But what did you guys think about this one? Uh, well, that, I mean, <laughs> reading this, I was like, what does this mean? Um, in the larger context, it makes me think we're going to see a lot of the characters sitting down for interviews on this ride. Um, and maybe <laughs> yeah. that's the connection point because there is like a whole thing where all the other guardians keep taking, um, Peter Quill's interview that he's supposed to be doing with the, uh, Nova supercomputer, um, but I mean, this is like a fun little check-in with the very out of the very non-continuity versions of all of these Guardians characters. Yeah, I agree. It's just kind of like a fun uh, entry point for this kind of issue. It's a fun kind of running bit. Yeah, this is just. I feel like they do a great job of getting the humor that is Guardians of the Galaxy. It feels very much in line with all the other kind of Guardian stuff. Uh, great art, fun bits. I, yeah, I enjoyed this. This is a tricky line to walk with this sort of thing because you've got to embrace the movie versions of the Guardians while still being in the Marvel Universe version continuity, which is what you definitely get through the art. I think Kevin Shinnick, who 
has written, uh, he wrote the Bebo holiday special for Legends of Tomorrow, among other things, mm. um, is good at, like, he's good at walking yeah. that line and, like, kind of making that thing work. So, like you guys are saying, I, I don't know that there's a great need to pick up this comic book, but if you want to read a fun check-in with, hey, here's who the Guardians of the Galaxy are, check it out. Like, it goes sort of of above and beyond the assignment in terms of being a fun book that is enjoyable to read. One thing, can you continue to talk about like gateway comics? If you have a friend who loves the guardians or any MCU movies and you're like, they're like, what comic should I read? This is a good sort of bridge comic uh, because it very much feels like the movies, but it is a, a good comic on its own merits. So it's um, worth reading from that perspective. The Joker, The Man Who Stopped Laughing, number two from DC Comics, written by Matthew Rosenberg, art by Carmine de Gian Domenico and Francesco Francavia. This is following the story of the Joker who has moved to Los Angeles and declared war on the entire world. At the same time, there is another Joker wandering around Gotham City who we can't catch up with this issue and the back matter is a weird, potentially out of continuity story of the Joker with art by Francesca Francavilla. As usual, I can't believe that Pete didn't say Bergie at any point. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just think uh, this is uh, this is very interesting uh, stories uh, uh, with a lot of twists and turns. I can't believe that it's this kind of bit of the two jokers has been still kind of going on. So I'm interested to see if this is really going to pay off or not um, in this. Um, and yeah, I, you know, the, you know, you've heard me say it a thousand times, but the, the art on this is just tight bananas. It's just yeah. super tight bananas. You know? Would you call them tight ass bananas? I would, I would go that or far. Tight ass bananas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, well, why is it so strange to see two Jokers? I mean, I feel like we've been dealing with two Jokers sort of in general. One in L.A. Um, and one in our... Well, in- I'd say one in Florida and another one in Florida. Wow. Mm-hmm. I would say one to world. the left of me and one to the right of me. Yeah, this is, this is a, okay, we're going for different things. Everyone, it's it's good. Everyone had a different idea yeah. there. Um, yeah. But uh, I, this is fun. I love a guy named Bergie who makes comics. And um, the art on both stories is uh, great and unique in its own way. Really good. This is a really good tight package. You should definitely be picking up. Great story going on I, here. And to answer your question, Alex, I just like to keep you on your toes. You know what I mean? Yeah, great. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Old Dog Dever 2 from Image Comics by Dirkland Shalvey. <laughs> <laughs> this is about a old guy through various sci-fi needs. has <laughs> been brought forward to present times after a coma and is back in the spy game. We're getting done in one adventures here. If you haven't listened to our interview with Dirkland Shalvey on the live show, Go back and yes. listen to that because he went to talk to him about this comic. Oh my man. God, I'm going to kill you about all, everything that went into this comic. I was honestly a little nervous about this one because the first issue was so strong and so interesting, but I think he crushed it with the second one as well. What did you guys think? Yeah, I'm. Ha- oh, you go. I, I'm having a blast with this. Uh, you know, I just feel like this old guy is just curmudgeonly enough. Uh, to be able to kind of pull off all this crazy stuff that he's set up for. So I, I'm having a blast. I feel like the art really does a great job of sucking into this 
world. And um, yeah, I think the amount of action and storytelling that we're getting in each issue is really well balanced. And there is just kind of like this interesting reveal that we see kind of happen twice a little differently. And uh, I, I just think it's really well done. You can tell that uh, this is a very thought out story and uh, very well executed. I've been I've been really su- pleasantly surprised with this book, and it constantly continues to keep surprising me, which is great. Do you think down the line the three of us are going to meet in diners like Old Dog and his buddy? <laughs> just like catch it uh, up. You're still in the podcast game. Uh, you what's Justin? going on, you old bastard? Yeah, that's that I would say it's inevitable. Piece of shit. It almost it's not that many years off. Really. Let's, <laughs> let's be honest. It's so like that, next week. Let's be honest. Yeah, ah, soup. Who's getting soup? Um, I uh, I also like this comic. I think um, the it, it seems to be about being old a little bit more than I thought it is. It was going to be, which is which I like. Um, it's in the it, title. It's in the title, but it, in the the first issue, I didn't know. I mean, the the main character obviously wakes up and is many oh. years older. Um, but I do think the um, the combination of him and his estranged daughter is what's most fun about this series. I think, and we only get a little bit of it here, but it feels like that's going to expand oh, as there. we're going for it's, it's in, in there. there. It yeah. is in there. Do you, Kate, uh, Pete? Do you ever want to stop and enjoy an old dog on the side of the road when you're <laughs> hanging out? Oh yeah, any dog. Old dog, young dog. Great. And again, just the word enjoy. The word enjoy is the word you chose. Yeah. I love my favorite old dogs are the ones that are like, meow, meow. Uh, Yeah. Love that. Those are fun. Uh, Speaking of which, let's talk about another dog based book Tiger Division, number one. (laughs) Written by Emily Kim, art by Chris Lee. This is a book focusing on a Korean super team that all has different secrets and origins and are all having problems working together. I was very surprised about the fun, goofy tone that was going on here. I expected it, honestly, to be a little more serious, but I had a good time reading this book. This feels like a very all ages book that you could really just hand to a kid and be like, check this out. These are heroes you don't know. You'll get to know them. Enjoy. Yeah. Introduction of a new super team uh, and feels like it has that great like uh, style uh, pioneer to the 90s of like getting all the characters out there. Uh, you meet them. There's an adventure happening. You're following one or two of them as they're exploring a personal side of their uh, of their own character, which I thought was cool. And I thought the art I really liked by Chris Lee, an artist that I hadn't uh, seen before. I agree. The, uh, the art is uh, great. Reminds me a little bit of like a Jim Lee type of thing with the sharpness of edges and stuff. But also like... Uh, you know, I, I don't know how much this is geared towards kids. Like, I understand what you're saying, but, uh, you know, uh, you give that to a kid, they might think when you die, you're just going to become like a hologram and interact with people all the time. But, uh, well, it's a good point. You're right, Alex. You don't, I don't know that, you know, maybe there, there is a lot of that going on, but, uh, I do think this is a great issue. Very cool first issue, setting things up. I really love all the choices being made. Um, it's rare when you're kind of like reading a comic and you're seeing the choices happen and you're kind of like, oh, great. That was a cool use of that. Uh, well executed. So I was really impressed with this and uh, I- I'm excited for more. 
And I'll also give a shout out to Marvel doing this because I kind of expect this move to do this sort of team from DC, which mm. frankly, I think experiments a lot more in the current past two to three years or so. But here getting a team like this, I wish they do more stuff like this. Like I checked and I was like, is this based on a video game? What's going on here? Is this some sort of yeah. on something else? It's not, it's just a new property that they're trying and that's great. Do more, yeah. please. Exciting, yeah. Dark Knights of Steel, number eight from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art by Yasmin Putri. Things are really heating up here in the old-timey DC universe as the various factions are starting to go to war, and we're getting a sense of who is behind the manipulation of everything. As usual with the Tom Taylor book, he is tightening the screws on everybody. It's getting very tense, but it is so good and exciting to read. Yeah, I've been really present. Pra, pra, I've been very surprised by this book. Presence. Every, yeah, issue, presence. Uh, I, every issue keeps <laughs> getting better. Uh, I really think this is a, such a cool story and so creative. And the deeper we get into it, the more I'm happy with the choices being made. Uh, they have some really great covers. Uh, you know, crazy type bananas art. Uh, I just love all the action and story. And the uh, uh, the second to last panel was also really amazing. I'm having just such a uh, blast with it. Um, just super cool. I feel like we're in some sort of Tom Taylor renaissance almost. I agree. Uh, I feel like we've gotten on so many great books. And I think this one does such a great job with the details, like the details of mapping our our modern day heroes on the uh, sword and sorcery um, world uh, in a cool way while letting their individual personalities shine. We get some great um, Green Arrow, uh, Black Canary moments here, which I'm mm-hmm. always, as Pete would say, I'm always a sucker for. Uh, right? You love it. Yeah. I'm loving it. Um, I'm loving it. It's a, it's one of your favorite uh, uh, couples. Love? Love? It's one of your favorite couples. Yeah. They're a great couple. I hope They're, they work it out. Yeah, oh, me too. Man. That would be great. Let's talk about That Texas Blood, number 19, from Image Comics, written by Chris Condon, art by Jacob Phillips. The end of this arc here, and I'll tell you, I was a little confused by the back matter, but I think it's just the end of the arc, not the end of the series, right? That's, I certainly hope so. 19 is a weird issue to go out on. Definitely. But we're getting the end of this very, like, Halloween-style serial killer arc where there has been a killer terrorizing this town during snowfall back in the 1970s or 80s, something like it's that. A blizzard. Oh, yes. A Texas blizzard. Great stuff. And I want to give a shout out in particular here to Jacob Phillips art, which yeah. reminded me, I mean, this is a very one-to-one, but there's this book back in the day by Greg Rucka called Whiteout, which oh, yeah, also yeah. takes place like in a lot of snow, as you can tell from this title. And this just use that so effectively with the differences between the white and the dark and the red of the blood that's splashing on the snow. It's so evocative and so well done. I love that we've gotten three, three different arcs at this point, four different arcs of this book. And every single one of them has felt vastly different. Yeah, they do a great job on this book. I mean, I'm in the tank for this book and have been from the jump. Um, it's very good. The way the the variety of stories they're telling across the different arcs is amazing, especially for something that felt very much like Texas 
world cop just trying to get through his day. And now we've gone into some like very cult focused stuff. This serial killer and this arc has been just great on its own. Super stark. The art really pops like Alex is saying, but the characters so tense in this issue as the killer's closing in. Uh, please, a uh, top pick for the week. Second, for me, second best book of the week. Wow. Mm. Well, I, yeah, I just think that this is, this has been, uh, top shelf, uh, for a while. This is just really impressive. And image. Uh, uh, if it, I meant, you know, like, uh, you know, above the rest is what I was going for. Oh, like we, yeah, I wasn't talking about the who put out the comic, you piece of shit. Uh, but my it's point sort of being, a dark horse, you'd say, of, no, uh, in the comic. No, in the no I wouldn't say that. Yeah, uh, uh, I would. Uh, I would say. Well, boom, what you think this about is the, exciting. All right. What did you think uh, about the images? Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, that's thank you. I'm trying to get to that. You're, you're uh, sort of lead, marveling over this. Yeah, it leads with the art, which I really appreciate. I feel like they let the artist. Sorry, are you saying I don't want to do this bit or IDW, if you will? <laughs> <laughs> that one was worth it. That was worth coming around for, Pete. So you uh, got to yes. give, give him props for that. That was <clears throat> Uh, yeah, I just feel like uh, they did a great job of letting the artists kind of shine and really kind of be the focus of the storytelling in such a creative, cool way. Um, the the villain in this is just so creepy and barely is there. You know, it's kind of like a Jaws situation where just the tension of knowing the villain is there is, is enough. So, uh, yeah, just really well made, uh, well put together and art led. So really impressive. Boom, studios. <laughs> Punisher number seven from Marvel, written by Jason Aaron, art by Jesus Saez and Paul Azaceda. This is continuing the story of the Punisher, who is now the leader of the hand. He is working for the Beast. And after the cliffhanger of the last issue where Daredevil showed up, we are getting that fight, as well as a lot more about Mary. Mary? Castle, who is his former wife, who is now uh, back Maria, alive. maybe Maria, excuse me. Sorry, there you go. Uh, and we're so we're getting the backstory there. We're getting this story with the fight. This book is phenomenal. This was my favorite read of the week. Wow. This was, I thought, so good. And P, I, I'm not trying to eat your lunch, but I love your lunch. Um, <laughs> it's a great lunch. It. It's Stop. a great lunch. Stop um, eating my lunch. I think the way that Jason Aaron is sort of finding a way in on the Punisher that I haven't heard before, we're, we're getting um, the perspective of Maria. We're getting her voice here. And we get to hear a lot of the two of them sort of together and what it was like with them before. Like, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's very interesting where you have this kind of daredevil Punisher showdown. And what happens most of this comic is just conversation. The, the dialogue mm -hmm. and the reveals in this is so exciting and so informative and moving. It, you just kind of you don't miss the violence and the action. It's it just speaks uh, such volumes for the writing team. Well, to throw it out there, there was two things that I wanted to mention. One, like you're saying, the cuts back and forth from this backstory, which gets a much more expansive version in this issue, contrasted with 
Daredevil and Punisher are fighting the entire time. So it is a fight yeah. scene. So it keeps cutting back to this fight scene. It makes that fight scene so much more tense because you have these stakes of the backstory. But I was really curious to hear from you, Pete, in particular, because you care so much about the Punisher. This feels like a huge reinvention of the Punisher here. We delve very deeply into his PTSD coming yeah. back from the war living in a tent in the backyard, Maria being scared of him. I think we are getting to the point where they, you know, are understanding each other a little better. We're not quite there in this issue, but it's such a vast reinvention of, they were a happy family. They went on a picnic, some mobsters kill him, and then he became the Punisher. Instead, the way that Jason Aaron is framing it is he was always destined to become the Punisher. The hand was pushing him in that direction, but that's something that was inside of him anyway, and it was always there. How, as a Punisher said, and I'm legitimately asking honestly, how do you feel about that? Well, what's what's very interesting is, you know, we're getting more of Frank's human side than we ever had. And it's crazy because if you would have said to me, oh, yeah, uh, Frank Castle is going to be the beast, uh, you know, working for the hand, you wouldn't think that you'd be getting so much of his kind of like origin story and his kind of struggle with post uh, after war post traumatic stress it's such a cool combination and done so well to kind of give you more uh than you've ever had really with Frank's kind of story the human side of Frank so it's such a creative cool choice um and what's great is it feels in the realm of the character they're not comm- they're not changing big things they're doing some tweaks that feel uh, uh alongside the character which i as a huge fan really appreciate this has been such a growing kind of experience uh as far as getting to know the uh the character the someone who would make this kind of crazy choice to become the punisher and why and all this stuff uh, just a kind of an interesting look inside their brain. You know, Justin always wants to get inside people's heads. This is, yeah. they're doing it in such an interesting way um, where it's not him talking, it's other people kind of like sharing their experience. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, just uh, such a great idea and such a kind of uh, uh, introduction to what people come back from, you know, things like that, traumatic things and how they try to put their lives back together or try to find some kind of functioning way to kind of uh, live. Uh, Just very, very cool. Art is amazing. The stuff that is happening in this comic is amazing. It's there's so much tension underneath everything. Uh, Yeah. I mean, uh, (laughs) this is just a legendary run of the Punisher right now. And it's uh, it's a great time to be alive. Wow. <laughs> what a final <laughs> statement. Um, I, next up, I really want to get inside the picnic basket. You know, like oh, I want to get a, a gritty, yeah, a gritty take on what was in that um, picnic. Yeah. Get Jason Aaron and this team on Yogi Bear next. Like, we want to find out what's happening at Jellystone. Get a dark, gritty take. Bring back, uh, I don't know. I can't think of any other Wow. Yeah, you can't really think of any other to, Yogi yeah. Bear characters? Yeah. No, I really can't. Wow. I think that he was sort of the focus, really. Yeah, wait, who's the little bear? Boo-boo. Boo-boo. 
right. Gotham City, year one, number two from DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by Phil Hester. In this issue, we're continuing to follow a retcon, another retcon, two in a row, of Gotham City, thanks to Slam Bradley, who is investigating a mystery that is redefining not just Gotham City and its origin, but also the Batman and where he came from. We, I think we're very excited about the first issue. What do you think about the second one? I love Slam Bradley. I love finding this story. This Martha, she's different. She's wild. Mm. Uh, yeah, I feel like the, I love the noir feel to Gotham in this book. Such a uh, great artistic choice that's being made here. Uh, these year ones have been really great, and I look forward to them. Uh, you know, every time we get them on the poll list. So, yeah, I've I've been enjoying this. You didn't find it confusing that it was year one number two? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> I love <laughs> Phil Hester's art. He is absolutely perfect for yes. a noir story. Tom King clearly loves living in this world as well, and I'll follow him everywhere. I'll, I'll tell you what, though. I am a little hesitant about the idea that, like, oh, there's a character that was the Batman before Batman. And now we meet a character who we met in the first issue, and I won't spoil who it is, but there's a character who's, like, basically Catwoman in here as well. Yeah. So I have questions about where this is going. And obviously I'm going to keep reading it, and I'm sure Tom King will answer it in a way where I'm like, Okay, that makes sense. That works. I get it. Because, again, that's what he always does. But there was definitely more hesitance from reading this issue than I had from the last issue. Interesting. Let's talk about Antioch, number two from Image Comics, written by Patrick Kinlan, art by Marco Ferrari. This is a spinoff of Frontiersman that finds this character Antioch in prison prison, with Frontiersman and fighting a new enemy here that both of them don't really know necessarily. Uh, we were, I think, pleasantly surprised by the first issue here. How do we think the second held up? Uh, well, I like this comic a lot. I think it's really getting us in the the prison mindset um, in a, in a deep divey way that um, a lot of comics I think I don't think do. And something we've said about a lot of these Frontiersman universe comics, they go so much harder than they than I expected them to by creating this universe and having such like fidelity to it. Like they're very specific with all their moves, uh, which is something I always love. Yeah. I just think that they're, they're doing a great job here with setting things up to pay off. Like the fact that they kept mentioning the magical witch that is kind of keeping all their powers in check is such a great kind of like setup to what I feel is going to be an amazing reveal. I'm I'm really Are happy. You crying? With no, yeah. I'm just really happy with the choices being made in this comic. I feel like the art is very cool. It's also got a fun Street Fighter kind of feel to it, and I mean that in a compliment type of way. Uh, yeah, I, I'm. I feel like this is a creative, cool comic. I can't wait to see what happens next. Hmm. I got a little bit more of a battle to its vibe, but I see what you're saying, Pete. How dare you? Wow. 
Survival Street, number four from Dark Horse Comics, written by James Asmus and Jim Festante, art by Adam. We should have them on the show. We had them on the show. They talked about Survival Street. This is a dark take on Sesame Street type characters that are fighting a post apocalypse that has been taken over by corporations. Each issue focuses on a different societal issue. And here it is all coming to bear on the final issue. I. I can't believe how hard they crushed it in they, uh, this final issue, but they 100% did. The no comic goes harder than Survival Street. Like this comic from the cover, which is them destroying the Muppet Show set, um, all the way through to just the the way they like just idea on top of idea. Like these are puppets that are um, sick of the way the world works. Hyper violence, Fox News uh, style um, uh, situation here. It's it's really good. Yeah, I love the badass kind of like countdown that we get at the end of this. This is such a I, I love this comic. I'm super impressed with the writing. The art is such a fun take on all of this. Yeah, this is uh, a really great package of of writing and art style that very much delivers. Uh, if you look at the cover and you're like, oh, huh, cool, fun, I like what they did, you should definitely pick this up because it is is all that and then some. She-Hulk, number seven from Marvel, written by Raven Rowell, Rainbow Rowell, excuse me, art by Luco Maresca. I feel like I mentioned this a little bit on the live show, but I what they're going for crisp, crisped in for me in the last issue, and it really came to bear here. This is a modern take on a romance comic, and I think that's yeah. something that you don't really get at all. We're getting She-Hulk romancing Jack of Hearts, a perfect character to romance, uh, and it's working <laughs> splendidly. I love reading this book. Uh, agreed. On top of that, I really love the romance, especially that kicks off the issue. And then we get into the She-Hulk stuff that was covered in some of the um, more famous runs on the comic and the uh, recent series um, on TV, which I guess we watched um, and maybe had some thoughts on. Um, in the case of the week style uh, storytelling, we get some great characters popping up here. Victor um, Mancha and um, the Doombot from Runaways. Uh, love those characters. Love to see them here. Uh, this is a fun read. Yeah, I I think this is a great use of Awesome Andy and the Doombot stuff is just hysterical and a fun use of her lawyer skills for this. I think this is just just a, a great comic. I mean, I'm not sure how into the uh, Jack of Hearts guy I am, but, uh, you know, as long as She-Hulk's happy, then I'm happy for her. Uh, <laughs> but, man, uh, That's yeah, nice. this is just a well-drawn, fun comic that does such a, a great job of, of, of playing in this kind of lawyer Marvel kind of superhero world. If like superheroes were real, like what would that mean for a lawyer for them and all that kind of stuff. So I think this is great. Batman number 129 from DC Comics, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Jorge Menez and Leonardo Romero. We're continuing the arc of Failsafe, a robot that Batman built to take down Batman has taken over Gotham City. Batman is hiding out with Aquaman and trying to stay safe, but this issue, he takes the fight directly to Failsafe. Things go as apocalyptically as you might expect from there. I say this every issue. I can't believe the amount of tension that is coming out of this comic book. 
every and just just big budget blockbuster movie storytelling mm-hmm. here like mm-hmm. it's not just a, a batman standalone or a bat family story like we're touching on the bat family we're touching on the justice league we've got batman um all over the world and in space trying to take down this character this feels like it could have been a six issue justice league crossover book but instead it's a fantastic um arc in the main batman comic um so i gotta give it up for chip zadarsky for the broad uh scale of his storytelling um being told in this um in this series these uh these covers are tight bananas i mean this is just crazy fun it really feels like a great issue of a batman comic is everything you kind of want and they're doing it uh uh to 11 here so this is very enjoyable this is i'll throw this out here this is going to sound like a negative thing but it's just kind of occurred to me failsafe is such a good villain it's like the Batman who laughs, where you get this intro, and you're mm. like, that's awesome. And then they're going to do it 15 more times. They're going to be like, please stop it with Falsafe. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And, you know, it's true, though. Batman who laughs was everywhere, but I think we've phased out from him. Ah, good, Batman who laughs is done. We're it's on to Falsafe now. It's Falsafe's yeah. time. Bloodstained Teeth, number six from Image Comics, written by Christian Ward, art by Mac Charter. In this issue, we are switching perspective to a new character rather than our main vampire that has to hunt down other vampires. I believe we're finding out about one of the vampires that he's going to need to hunt down and how they came to be. Love this perspective shift. Think this is a really smart time to do this for this series to really switch it up and give us the stakes here of everything that's going on. Great, love this issue. One of my favorites of the run so far. Hell's yeah, the, I I love the switch. Uh, I I love the kind of uh, uh, it also raises the stakes a little bit. I I just think that this is such a uh, not only well-drawn comic, but such a cool way to kind of tell this story. I'm, I'm really impressed with the moves being made and all the badass stuff we get in this issue. Tossing heads on desks. Come on, man. This is exciting. Uh, this is just a, a tight-ass package right here. Yeah, it's an ass package and a tight one at that. I That's agree. right. Um, heads are made to be put on desks. That's why you have a job to get a head on it. Uh, <laughs> we had Christian Ward on our live show, uh, recently, um, had a nice chat with him. And one thing that he said was that he wanted every issue of this series to feel different. And I think, um, that really worked. And that's what's yeah. happening here. New perspective, uh, heart wrenching story here and, uh, a great, um, a great switch up, I thought. Predator Predator number four. From also, Marvel. I just wanted to just say it's nice to hear when we have guests on the show. You know what I mean? Uh, thank you, Justin, for making that comment. Pete, you should really come to the live show at some point. You would really get some information about yeah, something. You would stuff. love it, Pete. It's really fun. Yeah, we, have this, sound really nice. we have this we trivia section. We interview guests and we don't actually just ask them about just the wall behind them, but the books they're talking about is weird. Well. Yeah, you it takes a, a village, guys, and we all have our own interview styles. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's all about chemistry. Pete's always looking at the wall. Can't believe he hasn't brought up some of this stuff behind me yet on this podcast. But sure, uh, we'll get to it eventually. You can't force it, Pete. I have some Loki charms behind me. What do you think of that? Yeah, yeah. I, I said when uh, when I originally saw when I saw it, I was like, "What is that? Some oh, okay. lucky fucking charms you got back there?" 
And I was like, no, it's Loki charms based on the TV show Loki. Predator number four from Marvel, written by Ed Bryson, art by Kev Walker. In this issue, our drunk heroine is taking on one of the Predators. Doesn't go so well, and things get worse by the end. What did you guys think about this? Don't drink and predate. You know, it's just hard to to be at the top of your game um, when you're going head to head, a predator to predator. Um, but um, we've talked about this before, how I think this, along with the Aliens uh, series that Marvel has been doing, are really, um, really successful. They really capture the tone of the movie. And this one continues to be just like a full bore uh, gas pedal to the floor uh, storytelling in the Predator style. Yeah, I mean, there's you know two two philosophies if you're going to fight predators. One, you know, you're going to need to stay sharp and be ready, or fuck it, you're going up against a predator. You better be fucking drunk because otherwise, you know, you won't be able to deal. So uh, this uh, chose the latter. Uh, fun choice. Yeah, I love all the art and action in this comic. This, you know, I've I would think I would be over the predator, or not excited to pick up another predator book, but. Uh, each time I'm uh, pleasantly surprised and impressed with the uh, product that we're getting. And this is no exception. This is a ton of fun and uh, some amazing art. Earth Divers, number two from IDW Publishing, written by Stephen Graham Jones, art by David Gianfelice. This follows a bunch of post-apocalyptic survivors who are traveling back in time, or rather they've sent one of them back in time to kill Columbus and essentially change the course of American history. So we're following both timelines as we go. Last issue, our back-in-time guy met Columbus and is now trying to figure out how he should kill him and when he should kill him, as well as what's going on with the time travel. And in the future timeline, we're getting some very weird twists there as they try to figure out what potentially has changed with the timeline. I think we're all pretty high on the first issue. How did we feel about the second one? Um, I dance with this IDW. I dance with this book. Um, I think it's good. And um, I like the way it it has the sort of uh, wide look at this, like we have to kill Columbus to save the future, while also getting, like you're saying, Alex, getting into some sort of genre-y stuff that I definitely didn't see coming. I uh, love the individual choices. I don't know if I can get behind what our main character in who's traveled back in time is doing currently at the end of the our time with him in the issue because that's risky, you know. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing your process with us a little bit. Like you kind of look at a comic and you think to yourself, "Can I dance with this? Could I, yeah, you know, exactly. hold hands and maybe uh, get down to some music w- w- with this?" And it's good to know that you could dance with this. I dance uh, with. Well, I'm glad that you uh, uh, danced the night away with this comic. I, I would love to see some video of that. I think it would be a lot of fun for the viewers uh, to be able to uh, check out. I'm just suggesting something for Patreon. You dancing with some comics would be a lot of fun. I dance with my comics behind closed doors. Oh, okay. All right. Well, hey, you know, whatever. I don't just I... walk up to, like, say, uh, hypothetically, a dog on the street and enjoy it in front of everybody. Oh, well, most well, of the stuff you dance with is licensed properties, but they have you have been starting to do some originals, right? That's right, hundred percent. I dance with originals. Yeah, now. wow, nice, good for you. Yeah, I mean the art on this you is like really to, since it's I uh, you, I dance with you like to pop and lock and key. 
Wow. <laughs> you proud of yourself on that one? Definitely not. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, I, yeah, I think the art is just bananas tight on this. This is some really fun art Just real choices. quick, sorry to interrupt you, Pete, but it's very funny that you're making fun of both Alex and I, and then you just throw out bananas tight uh, without any sort of fear <laughs> no, of retribution. No fear, no, yeah. No moment of pause or reflection. No, no, no. Maybe I should learn from what's what's being said or what's That's happening. That's confidence. But yeah. So, yeah, I, uh, the art is the main thing that I liked in this book. Uh, I felt like the first issue was cool. The second issue got a little weird. I'm hoping maybe we write the ship a little bit. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see what happens in the next one. Last but not least, Little Monsters, number seven from Image Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Dustin Wynn. In this issue, we're going to get a big bunch of backstory about how our little vampires got trapped in the city and why we don't get all of the answers here. But that cuts between what is going on in the present for us and these other characters. What would you think about this one? Big thematic issue, I thought, for number seven here. I think the theme, we get a lot of like before and after, which I think is sort of signaling like what it is to be a kid where everything's nice and you're sort of like getting along and the stakes are a little are low, but you see the seeds that will eventually lead to conflict. And then we see the after when the conflict is just happening. So I, I really um, liked the sort of putting, displaying that theme so directly for us. I mean, obviously, the art is amazing in this book. I mean, this is, you know, a legendary artist here who's who's done amazing things with it. A sender and D sender. So it's nice to see this kind of continue uh, worth the art alone. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, they, they kind of had a nice nostalgia moment for me where it would kind of stopped action to be like, hey, remember boom boxes? Oh, fun, right? They were cool. Good yeah. stuff. And if you would like to support our podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at comic book live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and more. Until next time, we'll see you at the uh, Dancing Tight Banana Shop. Yeah, we make sense. Just nothing fails.